preseason trip and back in the day the revs didn't have any any cash for we had zero budget for a preseason so we were always asking for favors and and trying to do whatever we could to make it happen so were you guys still like on the side on the side of the road doing car washes and like scantily clad <laughs> i just it want worked. that visual in my head listen it worked you know <laughs> it, it, is it why you yelled at jay heaps because he looked better than you did in his <laughs> short shorts yeah, get Taylor's button some short shorts. And, uh, <laughs> what is up, everyone, and welcome to another exciting installment of Jimmy Conrad Needs a Doctor. I'm Jimmy Conrad, and I'm here with the good doctor, Dr. Lee Hancock. Hi, Lee. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm just excited to see our guest. It's been so long and I miss him so much. And I'm excited to see what new things he's going to talk about today. Dr. Lee has the jokes, everybody, because my audio didn't work. We've already done this once. We're doing it again. It's going to be a brand new, fresh episode of a special guest that we know and love. Oh, I'm saying it, Dr. Lee. It's Matt Reese, who is one of my favorite people both on and off the field. He helped me win a national championship at UCLA amongst many other things that he's done. Uh, hi, Matt. How are you doing? I am great. Um, I was great the first time and even better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, so, so wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Lee. So how many years did you play in MLS? Like 27 years in MLS. It seems and- like that long, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was only 16. Only 16 years. Yeah. So, so what was happening in the world when you first, hold on, hold on. has a driver's license. That's crazy. Yeah. Give me some pop culture. What was going on in the world when you first got started in MLS? Well, some of my fondest memories when I started in the MLS was driving uh, from UCLA to Pasadena in a beautiful little blue Toyota pickup truck, uh, listening to Blink 182's Damn It. Uh, (laughs) That was that was what was going on, and Jimmy, you were there. I was there. I was driving us. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Those were good times. That uh, it, I guess really the, the big part of your story that I love was that, and you might not have loved it, but you had to play second fiddle for a long time in, in college and then for the pros before you really got your chance to spread your wings and fly, as it were. How did you deal with that? Because I think it was for, what, the first five, six years of your career before you really became the Matt Reese that, that we know and love and, and see on a regular basis and those highlight reels? Yes. No, I mean, it, it started in college too. Uh, when I got to UCLA, uh, I redshirted my first year and uh, started my second year. Uh, Ziggy had brought in Kevin Hartman. Uh, so we were together at UCLA too. And uh, I didn't play till my fifth year at UCLA. And, and like you said, I helped you win a championship, That's true. which was I couldn't be more proud of helping you do that. Yeah, uh, I'm really happy. A great picture of us hugging and uh, your hands were up, and we got the rings to prove it. So, um, and then after that, yeah, I, I got into the MLS in 1998, and uh, for most of my time at the Galaxy for the first five years, I, I, you know, I played off and on and here and there. So, I probably played 20 to 30 games in those first five years. I remember one one year I played minutes <laughs> so uh even when i got to new england I, I sat for a year there too also and then uh so I, I figured i gotta if i've sat for this long i gotta play for at least uh, that same amount of time so i, I kind of evened it out um but yeah i mean i think at, at the bottom of it all is is a true love for the game and 
you know, I, I loved going out and practicing every day. And, um, you know, I think if you don't have that, if you don't have that love and that desire deep down in your heart, then, you know, it's hard to show up every day and practice without playing. Let me, let me kind of piggyback on that because I think what, cause I obviously heard that, um, once or twice, I don't remember where I heard that before, but what I love about that story is that the love of the game piece, which I want to ask you about, but how did you get the mentality of I'm going to grind it out? You know, because again, the glamorous life of Toyota trucks and small hatchbacks um, at that early MLS years was I bet, very difficult to pass up. But like that grind and grit, is it because you had older siblings or siblings? Was it like a, just an FU mentality? What, like, how did you get there? Yeah, uh, I have an older brother who he was kind of the reason why I stuck with soccer. And, you know, he had played, he had played on uh, at St. Mary's College in Northern California. And, you know, I grew up going to his games and, and uh, I didn't start playing goalie. He was a goalie also. I didn't start playing goalie till high school. So uh, I was running around on the field and uh, I would warm him up for games too sometimes. So, um, you know, having that older brother to kind of look up to in it um, definitely helped. But, you know, for me, it was just that that kind of escape. It was that place where you could go and, and be yourself. There wasn't really a lot of rules. There really wasn't you know, a lot of, uh, people telling you what to do. So I, I really like that. And yeah, I think every professional athlete out there has that, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that, uh, you think I'm not very good and I'll show you. I think that yeah. there's a stubbornness in us all. Otherwise that first person that told you, I don't think you're going to make it, then you'd be like, Oh, okay. All right. Fine. And you know, <laughs> yeah, shut up shop. But, uh, yeah, well, there's, there's definitely a, a stick it to the man and, and I'll show you kind of attitude that's out there. And, um, you know, it, I think that creates, uh, that, that bit of grit and that ability to, to grind out those hard days when you're, you know, you're not playing and, and you have to practice and you have to be the best that you can be to help your, your team get better. And yeah, back in those days, we didn't have, you know, these huge squads. So, uh, it, we had two goalies, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, when we got, it was just Kevin and I, and it wasn't until probably like the third or fourth year that we started bringing in some other guys to get shelled on. Uh, we, we took all the reps and, and did it all ourselves. So. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get that love of the game? I mean, was that your brother? Or was that just going out to things? I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned the grit and the grind and your brother was a, an influencer there, but that love, like, did you watch soccer as a kid? Like, was it just sports in your house and any sport that you could do you loved and then soccer just kind of became that love? Yeah. Well, we didn't have, you know, a lot of soccer on TV. I mean, right. you would think that, that CBS would have the, uh, the semifinal and final of the NCAA and, uh, you would get, we'd start to get those ESPN champions league games where Jimmy and I used to watch Ajax never lose. And, uh, so it, it kind of came from there, but I, I love the, the sport of soccer, obviously playing on the field and being able to run around and kind of do whatever you wanted. Uh, I excelled at it, so that made it a, a lot of fun. But uh, I had a, a really good group of guys that we played high school and uh, club soccer together. There was five mm -hmm. of us that all uh, hung out together. And, and, man, we would go to, to train at UCI, and we'd go to Del Taco afterwards and sit there for about two hours. And 
uh, eat a lot of food for five bucks and, and bullshit and bust each other's balls. So uh, you know, that was, that, those were the, those were the good old days. You know, when, Sounds like my house in the afternoon. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we also, you know, that, that was kind of soccer was just starting to take off. So uh, kind of being that, that first out the door and, uh, creating that culture and you know we, we we started to see it overseas and see these teams and clubs and you know that's kind of uh, what we wanted was was to have those opportunities for ourselves so yeah. you, you see that now and you see the fruits of the labor of especially in Southern California man they, they've been playing at high levels of soccer for uh, you know 30 40 years now yeah. So Matt, when I when I hear your stuff, especially early on about your brother, I feel like there's a visualization thing there because you can see it, you can taste it, and you you can envision what that life would look like, and then you start to have it yourself, and then you start to enjoy it. And just so everybody knows, Matt is a freak athlete. He's an incredible athlete. I've always been uh, in awe of his uh, physical prowess. Also, the amount of hair he has on his body. The guy's like, I don't know, like a Sasquatch over there. That's I don't. That could be its own podcast. I think. Uh, I know you lost it on your head and that's cool. It just, just kind of, <laughs> <that's> how, <laughs> I know I try to like compliment you, but then also take a shot. Cause that's what we do. That's, that's what friends do. But, but I will say that, you know, I was always impressed with your ability to just kind of fend off uh, any criticism that you had of yourself. I always felt like you were really positive and you knew you were going to get your chance, but I found it, I was less, less patient than you. I wanted my chance right away. And if I didn't get it, I was pissed. And then I'd be pissed. I keep being pissed until I finally like just kick the door down and you just couldn't deny me. And I just felt like maybe your approach was a little bit better. Uh, and, and you just quietly went, went about your business, tried to get better every single day. And maybe it wasn't as big of a baby as I was. Uh, and, and I really appreciated how, how you did that and how, and how you managed that. Because I, I can't express enough how impressive it is for someone to wait their turn for five, six, seven years before they can go out there and really blossom. And you did that. And I guess that's a message to all the young players or any coaches out there that, that do listen, that, that there's something to take away from that. Because as you said before, there are a lot of people that would just quit right away. And, uh, but you had that belief inside of you. I just said a whole bunch of stuff. I don't really have a question, but I wanted you to jump in when, when you could. And, on something yeah, no, it, it is. It's, um, you know, kind of looking back on it afterwards, it, it is tough. And I'm sure that my path could have been a lot different if I would have, gone in after a couple of years and said, Hey, you know, I, I think I can start and I, I want to go somewhere else. But, you know, to be honest, we had a, we had a really good team and uh, we won a lot of games. Uh, it was a good locker room. We had a, a lot of guys uh, that had been around the block and um, you know, you could lean on them for, for a lot. And as a, a young player coming in, uh, you know, had a lot of good role models in, in that regard. So, uh, you know, playing on a good team and in LA and, um, you know, when the league was just kind of starting out and having, having won it in 2002 and then and getting traded uh, after that year. And, and Ziggy and I had a conversation about, you know, one of us has to leave. It had gotten to a point where, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of both good enough to play. And, uh, you know, we, we got the call on, on our honeymoon, my wife and I, and uh, said, you got, you got traded to New England. So <laughs> that was just from Southern California as, as you can get, but it ended up working out really well. And uh, once again, we got, got into New England and Aiden Brown was there and, you know, he had just played in the MLS cup and, uh, you know, a great goalkeeper in his own, in his own right. And it took a, 
a few years to, to wait out my time there. And then kind of once I, I had it, I, I didn't really want to let go. So, uh, and, and, and those were, were some good times. And again, that, that locker room in new England and those, that team was a, a great team and a, a lot of great individuals that, that went through there. So, uh, you know, I've been very blessed with, with being able to play soccer with a lot of, a lot of great guys. And, uh, that's, that's what you miss when it's gone is that camaraderie in that locker room and that banter of, uh, and, and also going out every day and, and like you said, trying to prove yourself working hard at something, uh, you put, you put enough hard work in and, and good things do happen. You mentioned locker room a few times. I feel like you are a great locker room guy. Um, just, is that a prerequisite for goalkeepers? Uh, are you a rarity? Uh, and I guess really what I'm asking too, is you moved into coaching, like, what do you look for? in that goalkeeper, right? I mean, everybody's just talks about goalkeepers being crazy, um, which, you know, okay. But I think crazy like a Fox <laughs> and good locker room guys. I mean, what is that? Uh, you know, what is that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's important. And, you know, there's, there's always so much tension and so much going on in, in these professional locker rooms. And, you know, the, there's the, you go out there on a game and you make plays and guess what? You, you, you could make that play, nine times, 10 times out of 10, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, things, things don't go the right way, but at the end of the day, it, it is just a, a sport and, and you got to realize that. So it's important to keep things, at least I felt, you know, keep yeah. things a little bit light. Uh, and it's, it's a long season. So, you know, you, you're around these guys a lot. Uh, so it, it's important to have that hard work, but also, uh, to be able to, to relax and have fun and, uh, and enjoy the guys that you're with because I th I feel like if you you know enjoy the people that you're with if you're if you really kind of click both on and off the field it it helps when you have to do those hard yards at the end of the game and mm. help if you have to cover someone or or mm -hmm. you know try to play a pass in that your teammate needs to score so uh, in, in terms of coaching when you're looking uh, at the goalkeeping kind of core uh, you, you try and look and make sure that you have a solid starter, a guy that, you know, you can lean on for probably 80% of the games. Uh, and then you need a, a good, reliable backup, someone that's out there that's ready to push the starter and in a pinch. And if anything happens that, that and it falls onto them, that they can uh, take it and, and run with it. And then usually now you try and have a, a younger guy or, or a third string that, uh, you know, has some promise, but needs, needs some work, uh, you know, so. Or Mike McGee. <laughs> or, uh, or Mike that, that can play, you know. So um, I, I, I want to jump in here, Matt, because I'm just seeing this now. I was someone who didn't start right away, right? We both had to fight to get that opportunity and to, to have it consistently handed to us in some ways. I really feel like being a good locker room guy is a survival skill because when you look at a team and you're, something that you're trying to build you know, I think you kind of know deep down that if you're a good guy in the locker room, you probably have a better chance of sticking around. It's almost the same way as I see being the fittest person on the team. As a coach, you know that person cares. They're giving everything that they have, and you, that's a good role model and example for the rest of the team. So I don't know if this, you guys agree with this or not, and maybe I'll throw this one back to you, Lee, from a psychological standpoint. But I think it's a survival skill. Secondly, not just from a playing perspective or, or trying to survive to stay on the team, but also of – this is an area where I can be myself. If I'm not being allowed to be myself on the field because I'm not playing, I have to be able to express myself and be myself around these guys that I'm spending this much time with. And I think there's a lot of layers there to being a good locker room guy and how important it is for teams to have good locker room guys 
and how 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 impressive it is, I guess, to be able to maintain that good spirit and positivity even when you're not playing. Yeah, it, it is, and it's definitely at times can be tough. And uh, but you know, and 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 it's about taking your chance. And you know, some sometimes you might get one chance. Sometimes you know, a player. Uh, you know, only has one chance. And if they're not ready to take that, then that, that you, you, you miss out. And I was lucky enough to kind of stick around through the, the, the few chances that I get, that I did get that it didn't necessarily work out or had a, a, a run of games and did well for a little while. And then, you know, at, at that point, you know, if you make one bad move, you, you lose it. So, you know, you, you learn that stuff, but, you know, I, I think, and you look at a professional athlete and you, it really is. And being a professional soccer player is, is one of the greatest jobs there is out there. And Bruce used to say it all the time. Uh, you know, we're, we're so lucky. We're, we're the luckiest guys in the world to be able to do what we love. And uh, it, after a while, and you've been in it for a while, you really do realize, you know, how special it is and how lucky you are to be able to, to play a sport every day. And, uh, you know, just solely focus on that and, and out there trying to, to get better and stay as long as you can, because, you know, once it's over, it's over. Let me, let me hit the survival skill. And then I've got a question for you, Matt, um, to Jimmy's survival skill thing. I don't know if it's a survival skill um, because I'm not quite sure. Like you can fake it for a certain amount of time, but remember when we had Ethan Zahn on, he was like, he was a survivor guy. And he talked about um, like, look, you, you can't fake it for 39 days. Like when you start getting hungry and tired, you're going to be who you is. And I think when pressure starts coming and you're a prick, that is pretty obvious. And, you know, as much as you want to try and survive and go, Hey guys, you know, if you're an ass and you start lashing out at people, people go, you're not that guy. And so people might want to try and make it a survival skill. I think though, it is that the issue of character and finding the right guys and that has always been so critical for me as I look at little kids, as I work with whatever teams. It's like, if you have too many of that type of a guy, it's over. It's over, right? But if you have a mix of things, right, and you have you know, people that balance things out, some people like, bring their dogs to training, and you have to manage that, you know? And then they look at them and they're just like, really, you brought your dog to training? You're not allowed to have dog to training. Yeah. Are we going to have to redo that question again too? No, I, no, I love the dogs to training. No, we're rolling through we're it. We're rolling through this whole thing. Keep going, Lee. And so here's the question, Matt. Where are you? Just seriously. Hi, puppy. Hey, you guys Here's the real question. <laughs> have you, because again, I... I think you're again the locker room discussion. When I assume you've lost your shit at some point, right? So, what is that like? Any good story of when you've lost your shit on somebody at training or in a match or in a locker room? And what does that look like? You hold a grudge? Does the guy hold a grudge? How does that work? No, I, you know what? I actually, I don't know if I. Well, I mean, of course I have, but I, I really always was trying to kind of be the opposite of that and trying to build guys up. We had, you know, a lot of guys, you know, a few guys that would, you know, try and get after, you know, the other guys and that gentle ribbing and that kind of constantly keeping them on their toes and pushing them. But I was always trying to be positive and, uh, you know, as a goalie, 
you, when you mess up, uh, you know, bad things happen and, and, you know, you don't want to point out when other people mess up or, or want to bring attention to that so much because when it happens to you, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows. Yeah. So, but the most epic one I can remember, uh, a flare up like that, uh, Jay Heaps had a go at me. We were at a preseason, uh, preseason trip. And back in the day, the revs didn't have any, any cash for, we had zero budget for a preseason. So we were always asking, for favors and and trying to do whatever we could to make it happen so were you guys do like on the side on the side of the road doing car washes and like scantily clad <laughs> i just want that visual in my head listen it worked you know <laughs> it, it, is it uh, you yelled at jay heaps because he looked taylor, better than you did in his short some, shorts yeah get taylor's buttons and short shorts and, uh, <laughs> But no, we were we were up at this field, which was in the middle of this coffee plantation in Costa Rica, and we were doing shooting. And Jay Jay wasn't having the best day shooting, and every time he would he would miss, I had something to say. <laughs> it just kept, you know, the the needle just kept getting higher and higher, and finally he let go of this barrage for like forty five seconds, which he was holding on to probably for years. And just completely, you know, put picked out anything that he thought thought was an insecurity of mine, and just went after me. So, what did you do? I started laughing. I bet you did. <laughs> I was just gonna say, and that probably just sent him over the top. You put your hand out like this, and he kept swinging and he couldn't reach you, and then it was over. No, but it was it was classic. But that's you know. The, those little things at, at practice and, and, you know, after a while you, you really try and work on it. And I've always felt that you need a good dose of both. You know, you need to be able to kick guys in the butt when they're not doing it and say, Hey, come on, we got to do this better. Uh, but then when they do it, uh, you got to pat them on the back and, and let them know that, Hey, that's, that's how we do it and promote that kind of positive way of doing it. And, if a guy, you know, makes a mistake or something, can you, can you clean it up for him and can you be there and, and save them enough times, uh, which is which is always going to help out the team. So talk to me about David Vinoli. He was a goalkeeper coach for both of us at UCLA, uh, longer for you than for me, but he was such a special guy. Obviously had his own career with the U.S. men's national team and really got a lot of things were on his shoulders, that whole era. You know, we owe a lot of a debt of gratitude to those guys for kind of getting started and being uh, the forefathers in some ways of, of this current movement that we're on. He unfortunately passed away when we were at a January camp together, you and I, Matt. Um, but there was something about him that made him special. Ziggy was so goddamn serious, his coach, that that Dino was his nickname. He just came in and he'd always make Ziggy laugh. Like, not just laugh, but like, well, I'm going <laughs> to say belly laugh, but but Zig's notorious for his belly. So like a double belly laugh from Zig. And we never saw that. And I always thought that was a – it made Ziggy feel more human and more of a 360 person instead of this kind of – guy that walks around and just bosses you or doesn't look at you or talk to you at all, you know, and, and I always appreciated that approach. And I wondered how much of an impact that, that Dino had on you uh, throughout your career and how much you took what he brought to the table and made it your own. Yeah, no. And, and I think Lee, you, you were talking about this earlier is, you know, what makes goalies goalies and, you know, that big personality uh, and, and Dino was, was that guy and he was great at, at getting, you know, people together and guys together. And um, you know, it, he was just, he was great at that. And, you know, when he coached, he, he, you know, had been there and had played at the highest levels. And uh, it truly was, you know, one of the guys that got the U S into the world cup in, 
in uh, in 1990 in Italy, and you know he would he was such a great storyteller and just always bigger than life, uh, you know, in, in more ways than one. And I he he truly was a, a mentor for me, and obviously him and Crumpy getting to UCLA when they did, and then uh, we I had him uh, in New England for quite a few years. So you know he, he is just a you know one of those great guys to be around and. He doesn't know uh, too many enemies or people talk too poorly about him. Everybody always, uh, you know, has a great Dino story of, of how he brought everybody together and, and just what a, what a great teammate he was. And, you know, you can do that and you can be a jokester and you can, you know, be lighthearted. But if you're not playing and you're not playing at a high level, you're not going to stick around either. So, you know, you got to be able to do both and you got to be able to um, both off the field, keep everybody, you know, loose and, and having a good time, but also on the field, making sure you're making the plays. Yeah. That balance, <clears throat> I think, is what somebody has to offer, you know, whether it's the goalkeeper coach, one of the assistants or something like that. And I think as I have watched you in dif- different teams and, and meticulously followed your career uh, over the years, I would say that you probably brought that personality you know, whereas maybe some of your assistant coach, like Pat or one of these other guys, no personality, you know, none. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, so what are you doing these days? So you're not in the MLS and um, kind of t- took yourself away from that by choice, right? To, yeah. to do some of the things locally. So what are you doing now? Yeah. So I work with a, a company called Sporting Global and uh, we're a sports management company and uh, we operate in a couple of different sports, but uh, myself and another guy, we operate the soccer side of it. So uh, we've partnered with Barcelona and, and we operate two of their soccer academies here in the United States, one in uh, Nashville and one in Northern Virginia. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, camps and clinics and international travel, obviously with COVID and uh, everything that that's happened, that's kind of shut everything down. But uh, mm. We've, we've got two strong academies in, in those two locations and really trying to help teach the, the young kids of America uh, soccer and, and try and give them a, a high level education uh, in soccer and take what uh, the dog's saying and, and translate it to, uh, to good soccer. Yeah, it's actually a great comment from the dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, say the same thing. I mean, I think we should have we should have the dog on as the next guest uh, on, on the show. <laughs> we could have the, talk, the talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, when you take everything that you've learned, you know, how do you impart that on to the next generation? Because, like myself, I feel like I've got so much to say. Sometimes it's too much. Sometimes I need to be more concise. And what, I, and what I pass along, what I think will be the most impactful. What have you learned and what are you trying to do to, to make that happen? Well, normally I just tell them to go watch Jimmy, Coach Jimmy, <laughs> uh, on, on the internet and check out his web pages and <laughs> find out what he's selling and buy that stuff because that's where it's at. That's where it's at. You can come <laughs> on the show anytime. I appreciate that. No, you know, I, I think it's uh, – you know, something as a coach where, you know, you're, you're just trying to take that those little bits of information that you've learned that, you know, can, can help these kids. And, you know, you, you say, if, if you would kind of pick this up a little bit earlier, listen, I picked it up here. If you can pick it up here, you're going to be way better off and, and trying to give those, you know, younger kids a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain, uh, teach them a lot of the, the little things of the, you know, unspoken stuff and rules and, 
uh, how to waste time on any kind of throw in or corner kick or how to fake injuries to kill the <laughs> and the seven different ways that you can get away with uh, wasting time and not getting the goal people, kicks, goal kicks for goalkeepers for real sure. important stuff. Like if it's late in the game and you know you're up a goal, maybe you put the ball outside of the six yard box and you block <laughs> the field and they say, hey, you know that's out of the six yard box and you're like. Oh my gosh, you're right. Can you <laughs> really roll the ball back to me and I'll put it in the box and then I'll go probably 20 yards back this way and get a super long run up and then blast the ball uh, to my center back who's now standing right next to me in the six. That's great. You know, you, you, know, you are responsible for one of the almost the all time best lines I've ever heard. Do you remember this? I don't know why I'm talking about Was this. Was it last week? No, no, it wasn't last week. You remember when you were at a coaching license and and uh, it was like your A license? I was sitting in the room. I wasn't doing anything in the course. And you had a comment and the comment was relative. Do you want to tell the story? Well, you're doing a great job. I mean, I <laughs> and, and so Jimmy, he goes, uh, we're sitting there and, and the guy is kind of, and, and this, this other coach raised his hand. And mind you, this is a pro license, pro A. And it's one of the earliest ones with everybody was in there. And it was an awesome thing to to, to be a part of. And one of the guys is doing it. And, and, and it was actually the B license. So that was the, the first B license. Uh, oh, okay. I, was, I was there then. <clears throat> you were in that, I was, I was, were you I was in that there, room? I might, might've been, I don't know. I so anyway, remember. so, and, and honestly, I, I haven't thought about this in years, but you were just being funny. So he goes, uh, somebody answers the, the, and gets in an argument up front with the, with the guy teaching the class. And, and the guy is the, the person, the ex pro who I'll name in a second was having a go basically at the conversation and the guy up front. And um, of course, out of nowhere, Matt yells out from the back, listen, after I get my A, I'm going to go get my Vanny because that's the <laughs> highest license in the country. <laughs> like guys lost their minds in there, lost their minds. And anyway, yeah. tremendous joke. Tremendous. No, I, I was, uh, I was there for that. And you I were in that room. Yes, I don't think Matt would have said uh, that otherwise if he didn't play with Greg at UCLA because that that's going right at him. That is a that's Absolutely. knowing somebody pretty well. Oh, and, yeah. and look, he's doing well now, so maybe you would do well to get your <laughs> Vanny. Matt, you're so your funny, vanny. but you know what? You should do well to get your Vanny. Listen, yeah. I, if I stayed next to him for a few more years, then I would have a Vanny for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, Matt, before we let you go, what's your Let's say your favorite story from your playing career that you thought it could be meaningful. It can be funny, whatever you want to share. Uh, Cause I know you got a bunch of them, man. That's, that's a real tough one. I mean, you, you kind of go back to, to a lot of them, but um, you know, the, the naked guy on the airplane is, is always a, a really good one. Um, there was a time where. What is that? Yeah. Could you just, you got to go for it now. What's that? You want to. Yeah. We have to hear that. <laughs> Well, we were we were on a flight from Boston to LA, so it's a longer a longer flight, and uh, we're boarding the plane. And who doesn't I, get naked on those flights? Guy in front of me, and he's just kind of he's a little out of it, and I'm kind of looking at the guy, and he's kind of like trying to walk this down the jet bridge onto the plane, and the lady is like, "Excuse me, sir, do you have a ticket?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, here it is." And so he, we get on the plane. We're about we're about over Oklahoma City probably right about now, and you know, there's all this commotion. Everybody's kind of got their headphones on. I'm kind of in the front middle part of the plane. A lot of the guys are in the back of the plane. 
and this guy is 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 a little bit in front of me and uh all of a sudden the guy comes by and he goes hey did did you see the naked guy and i'm like what what are you talking about you know now you're kind of like piqued the interest in everybody there's chatter everywhere and you kind of see this guy and the flight attendant goes up to him and and is like uh excuse me uh sir you gotta put your clothes back on and he gave him a, a, one of the blankets and he's walking by and right before he goes to the bathroom, he drops it and he's butt naked. And, <laughs> and it's, everybody's just kind of going, oh, wow. Well, so he gets, you know, back to his, his seat. Now everybody's got an eye on this guy, obviously. So he keeps kind of getting up and wandering around. Well, he wanders right over to the door and grabs the handle. And oh it's God. like, huh. And uh, Mike Burns and uh, Craig Tornberg from the Revs are right up in front and they kind of grab him and everybody goes, you know, you could hear the, the loud gasp through the whole plane. And well, we went from here, you know, straight down and dropped this guy off in Oklahoma City, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had zip tied him and everything, but it was, it was kind of crazy. And then we land in LA and there's, you know, paparazzi everywhere. And it's like, wow, so this is what it's like to be a professional soccer player. <laughs> Uh, so wait, so so Burns of all people, uh, he grabbed, he like tackled this guy, this nude guy on the plane. I'd say subdued him, you subdued know. Him. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's that one. There's the time where Jeff Lorenowitz and I put uh, Stevie Nichols cleats in Jello. Uh, <laughs> there's there's all the Emmanuel Ose, you know, stuff that happened. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot. There's a lot, a lot of good stories. I, uh, yeah, a ton of shenanigans. Uh, one in particular, before we let you go, I know I've already added on a couple extra minutes here, and we appreciate your time again. You, There was like a famous player that there's always been a thirst for New England Revolution fans to sign like a big name, and finally somebody came through, some Fangoso guy or something, and uh, I think you knew him quite intimately. And It was a big signing for the club. It happened on April Fool's, so I, I don't really know if it's real or not, but maybe you can confirm or deny. Well, I, I've talked to him on occasion, but Luis Fangoso, uh, without him, I'm sure there would probably be no uh, national team uh, in Gibraltar on the rock. But his hard work and dedication that really kind of cemented that uh, national team into existence. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, an amazing player in his own right. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a huge signing for the Revs. Uh, although he never saw the field, uh, except for kind of some cameo appearances, but yeah, he was he was a great player, and uh, you know he's hungry for gold. Yes, for everybody that doesn't know this story, go look it up online. Type in uh, El Lobo Fangoso, New England Revolution, April Fools, and you'll get a really good idea. Kind of looks like you. I don't know if it's the same person or not, Matt, but uh, the, the the resemblance was you striking. Want hair? You've already said that I don't have hair, so it's <laughs> yeah, definitely- that's true. Yes, hair. It's true. Completely different person. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your stories, and hopefully, a lot of people got something out of that. Well, we can cut it up so somebody can get some stuff. Out of it. <laughs>